and welcome. We are Daphne Tanko Kasambala and Eileen Morgus, and this is Soulfully Podcast. Hello, Eileen. How are you doing? Hey, hey, hello, hello, Daphne. I'm I'm doing okay. It's been um it's been an interesting an interesting week for me. Um in many ways, mm. but I think the biggest challenge I faced this week. Um, which is something that always reverberates for me for a long time is always a parenting thing, right? So I had an incident with my daughter yesterday. Not a big, not a big incident at all. Really small, actually. She's she's eight, and um, I had asked her to tidy up as you do, and she had refused to tidy up, and and she was like, "I will," and I was like, "When?" And she was like, "I don't know," and so I kept quiet. I managed to keep my calm, which you know tick for me. I kept calm Mm -hmm. and I let her carry on. And so Mm -hmm. I did all the tidying up. I tidied everything up. And then I said to her afterwards and she came in, she was like, Oh, and I said, all right, sit down. I said, these are communal spaces. And until you are able to honor spaces communally, you will no longer be able to play in these spaces. So her first part, her first reaction to it was, um, yeah, okay, fine. Anyway, fast forward an hour. And she wanted to go into the living room. And that, mm. Let's put it in perspective. She has a playroom and she has a bedroom. So she has spaces to play. I didn't say to her she can't play anywhere mm. in the house, right? She yes, has spaces. Yes. But mm. she said, can I go into the, into the living room? Um, and I said, you can, but you're not allowed to take any toys. You can watch some TV, mm-hmm. but you're not allowed to take anything. You're not allowed to eat anything. You're not allowed to draw anything. Nothing. Until yeah. this. And then, so basically, fast forward, her response was... I can't do it. It's impossible. You're torturing me. You're a bad parent. (laughs) So now, (laughs) and I'm just, I'm listening to it and I I stayed really calm, right? Which I I must say that Mm. was the the thing that I was proud of myself for is staying calm and not going off. But also I was able to remove myself from it, like Mm. really remove myself and look at her and her overwhelm. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we, we, you know, she had a, she Mm. had a cry and I let her cry and I said, yep, okay, fine. But this is the rule and this is how it's going to be. And you, it's okay that you feel frustrated with me. It's okay that you feel angry with me. However, these are the rules. But here's the thing for me, what happens is I then go through a narrative in my head where I ask myself in every Mm. parenting decision, what is the long-term impact on her emotionally, mentally, and our relationship, right? And I'm always wondering, as you know, you hear about it, right? You hear about, oh, you know, my mom did this, 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 and it taught me this, 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 and now I have to go to Mm -hmm. therapy because of what she did. And I'm constantly thinking, what am I doing to my child that one day she's going to turn around (laughs) and say, it's your fault. I don't think, I mean, this is a minor incident, right? It's not a big deal. She's already forgotten about it. I've forgotten Mm -hmm. about it, but it's just, it's Mm. just a little picture of what, you know, you go through Mm -hmm. as a parent all the time. You know what? You are figuring out, let me tell you, it doesn't stop. Um, I'm still figuring it out and I've got a 20 something year old daughter and I, I know that she, uh, she went to therapy because, you know, um, we, it's something that people are doing more and more. And I'm so glad that she went to therapy. I would have loved to be, have been a fly on the wall, but then also on the other hand, not so much because I know I was a topic. Yeah, I think there's some things we shouldn't there. know. And yeah, yeah, I think that it's fine. I'm fine with not knowing, but there is a little voice in my, in my head that is curious to know what I did that had 
certain amounts of impact or what stuck yeah. with her. Yeah. Um, and so, but at the end of the day, I agree with you that whole second guessing and questioning of yourself and what you're doing is just there amongst pe- all different types of parents. Um, but it's just lovely to see how you do. There is something you do, which I am afraid I didn't do, which was acknowledging more, doing more to acknowledge emotions. You've literally said to her, I acknowledge that you are angry with me and all of those things. And I may have said it, but I definitely didn't. I don't think I said it's okay for you to, to, to feel that way. And I think that that is a a great sort of, it's a move in the right direction, I think, for parenting, because a lot of the time, I know that when I was a child growing up, having emotions was almost a sign of weakness. And the emotions were things that we had to sort of cover up or suppress a lot of the time. So it's it's great that as parenting evolves, we are learning to validate emotions of, of children. And hopefully that leads yeah, to Yeah, I'll tell adults. you what, I'll tell you what. Uh, and that's the thing is I find it terrifying sometimes because like you, you know, emotions wasn't a language that I grew up with. And so sometimes I find her emotional um, response terrifying for me. And so I have to look at myself and say, all right, well, let me step outside of myself and allow her to feel what she feels and and not take it my feelings not respond and not try and get her to shut down her feelings, which is hard. Mm. I find it really hard. But on that note, Daphne, how was your week? Before I talk about that, I do want to say how we are resilient and some of these tough, these challenges that we face as children, as as teenagers and young people, they do build resilience. I'm a strong believer in resilience. And how many people in our community will have been told, stop crying or I'm going to give you a reason yeah. to cry. <laughs> By yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Classic emotional suppression technique. Right. right? I'll give you Don't a reason cry to cry. Or I'll give you something to cry about. Anyway. Um, yes, Especially I, when they've I, already I given you something that. to cry about, then they're going to add to it. <laughs> like, You're going to give me more, <laughs> like, more reasons to more, cry. What more do you want to give me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sorry, go on. And here How we are laughing about week? it. So on, hopefully, they, my impact was my 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 week was good. Um, I I've had a week of two two sides. I am I'm busy working on the website for my business, and I wish I was a developer, but I am not. So I'm I'm outsourcing the development of the website, and that's been hugely frustrating. Um, it got to a point where right. I could, could liken it to, you know, when you're, you're in the restaurant, you haven't quite finished eating, the wait is being, not being good, but you can't fully offload what you what you think because they might Unless just spit in your food the at the back. <laughs> that's, that's literally, I don't want them putting cookies or whatever it is in development in developer parlance that they would do to my website before they deliver it completed and I can change my password so that's the point where I'm at right now and I've just been sitting on my own in my office just pulling my hair out um blowing steam out my ears um and just trying to manage this to the milestones that I needed to go to and then on the other hand I've had a fantastic week in terms of um, hitting my sort of 
my personal goals for health and well-being. Um, I've exercised all the times that I wanted to exercise wow. and I feel great for it. I have slept the number of hours I wanted to sleep every night. I've meditated and I have journaled and just spent time Check you with out. myself. Check you out. You know, so I, even though I am stressed by what's been going on work-wise, I've been able, I think, to find the balance with, you know, just creating a, a, a comfortable environment for, for, for that that kind of situation to, to exist in. So yeah, I'm good. I'm really, I'm doing really incredible. That's incredible. I love that you're able to have both, you know, both the frustration and the accomplishments. It's incredible. Mm. Not that I'm happy you're frustrated. No, I love that you're navigating both. Let's put it that way. Oh yeah. I think that, I mean, the work, the work stresses are going to continue. I think it's an entrepreneurial thing. Um, it's, it's always there. And if I, and I can see now that if I can just find the balance to mitigate that by, by living well, then it's not as bad Mm. as just being 100% fully, fully, fully stressed. So, yeah. Well, you know what, this is fantastic because this is such a, you know, as we go on into this episode, it's learning, right, that we are going to always have areas of stress and everything and how we, Mm. how we balance that, how we work with that. So it's really, really exciting. It's really exciting how we're going forward. Well, shall we get into the episode? Let's get into the episode. Looking forward to it. Let's do this. (laughs) Right. So today we'll be talking about something that's often misunderstood and under-discussed, especially amongst the African community. Mm-hmm. But just because something isn't discussed doesn't mean it doesn't exist or that it's someone else's issue. Um, and this topic is mental health. Yep. It's so true, um, Daphne. And, you know, the thing is, being in the Western Hemisphere, the topical, topic of mental health is sort of becoming much more normalized. It's a topic that we hear about regularly and probably even more so during the pandemic. You know, there's been such a huge increase in people accessing mental health support. Mm. But recently I had a conversation with a 21 year old and I don't actually know her very well. Um, but I was so amazed by her candidness as, you know, she told me straight out she was struggling with anxiety and was on medication for it. And I walked away from that conversation. I had so many thoughts. I thought about how brave and honest she was. And the thing is, I was astounded at her lack of shame, you know, in a very positive way. And, but I was also curious about my own astonishment around it. And it took me back to about, I don't know, about 15 years ago or so. I remember um, I needed help processing some of my own childhood trauma. Mm. And I found a counselor and I told my dad, and my dad is, you know, was a very wonderful and supportive father, an African man. And his response to me at the time was basically that it was absolutely unnecessary to talk to anyone about what happened in my private business, especially about something that had happened so long ago. And, you know, God would, God would heal it. And that's all the healing I'd need. So obviously I didn't take his advice in uh you know although i honored and loved him but i recognized oh, him. Him, the shame but, 
Yeah, I recognize the shame he obviously felt about me admitting that I was struggling emotionally and mentally. And I think it's actually fair to say that within so many African families and communities, mental health is a taboo subject. There's mm. so much stigma and shame surrounding the topic. So here's yeah. the thing. How do we overcome that? And how do we begin to normalize this conversation around mental health in our families, our communities, and for ourselves as well? And so today, today, we're very excited to welcome our guest, Dr. Sandra Jumbe. Sandra Jumbe, big round of applause. Welcome. Um, Hello, thank Sandra. You. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to have you. Sandra is a health psychologist with expertise in health research and behavior change solutions, essentially focusing on how biology, social, and psychological factors influence health and illness. Currently working as a health services researcher at Queen Mary University of London. She's also a senior lecturer in research at Millennium University in Blantyre, Malawi, within the Department of Social and Health Sciences. Sandra obtained her doctorate in health psychology from UWE Bristol in 2017 and has become an experienced researcher over the years, working in both clinical and academic settings in primary care and mental health. Dr. Jumbe's long-term aspiration is to expand understanding of global mental health and related problems like substance abuse. By advancing research focused on youth mental health in Africa, as well as training fellow young African scientists, her health psychology background makes her an expert in behavioral science, enabling her to set the foundations for evidence-based work that can inform development of effective interventions, treatments, and policy decisions to improve human health. Welcome again, Sandra. We are so, so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for inviting me. Um, very impressive bio there. Really excited to hear more from you. <laughs> um, tell us, firstly, you know, how did you even come to this work? What motivated you? What opened this up to you? Oh, that's that's a big question. So um, a bit about myself. So I'm from uh, Malawi. So I was born and raised there. Uh, I moved to uh, the UK when I was in my late teens. Um, okay. And essentially that was because my mum got... Um, some funding to come and study and do an MBA. Um, and so I think what got me into psychology, uh, I mean, I think I had um, my problem when I was like in school and stuff is that I was someone who was kind of good at a lot of things or was actually interested in a lot of different things. Um, I Because I was really good at sciences, for example, maths, and everyone kind of did that typical kind of bottlenecking into it. You need to do medicine. Right. Um, so, but one I the, always One of knew. the three things to do, medicine, <laughs> yes. accountancy, accounting, law, engineering. <laughs> engineering. Yes. That's the one. <laughs> engineering, yeah, yes. Yeah, I always knew uh, that I, I didn't want to be a medical doctor, not in, not in that sense. I think part of that is to do with personal experience. So um, mm. I grew up with two sisters who were born with a medical condition. One had sickle cell anemia and the other was born with scoliosis. And so through that, it was watching them going to hospitals. Just They weren't sickly, actually, aside from having those conditions. They were actually fairly <laughs> healthy people. 
Um, mm. And but then it was the checkups and all that stuff. But unfortunately, right. both of them had two quite traumatic, negative experiences from neglect um, within the medical system. And I think that oh, fed wow. into me not a distrust as such, but this awareness that a doctor like anyone else is have they have their flaws, they have their weaknesses, they're not perfect. And I kind of would put myself in that situation and be like, if that was me, if I was that doctor who had made that critical mistake, I don't think I could live with myself. So right. I knew from that perspective, <laughs> I don't want to be a doctor, a medical doctor. But I always knew um, that I was someone who was interested in uh, observing people. I've always been someone who'd rather listen to people than talk about me. Um, I think a lot. I'm fascinated by why people uh, behave the way they do, you know, even from a very base level, like our relationship to foods, why certain people love certain foods and why we love, why dance uh, we, we're going to bring you on, on an, we're going to bring literally. you on just to talk about that at one point. Oh. <laughs> Can you be my personal one. best friend as well to tell me why yes. do I love wine so much? <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. Why? Why the carbs and fat? Come on. Now. Why, Sandra? Why? <laughs> yeah. So I think um, going through school and stuff, that kind of lent myself to thinking, OK, psychology looks like something quite interesting. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of where my passion came from. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. My love for just watching. Well, being being nosy, isn't it? Really? <laughs> It's so important to understand why we do the things we do. And I think most of us walk around with no idea. Mm. It's mm. true. And I think that like psychology and everything mind related is uncharted territory. There's still so much for us to discover and so much we've, mm. we've pegged down to, oh, it's the way I am or it's the way things are. But, yeah. you know, I think psychology, you're in a very exciting field that is in the realms of discovery still. So, so Sandra, being um, from an African background, um, I don't know whether you, you would agree that mental health issues are, are, are more stigmatized within the African mm. community, whether it's African community in Africa or in the diaspora. Mm. Um, is that what you're, you're seeing in general through your work? Uh, yes, but then I'll also say with, with a, a small caveat, no, I think the stigma is quite broad. It's still a global thing. Uh, I think even here among non-African communities, the stigma exists, but perhaps it's not so, um, so in your face in, in that sense, because now actually there's also it can have legal implications, basically. I think that's helped. Right. So things like the Equality Act, um, you know, for like have minimized people discriminating against certain people, for example, in employment because of having a mental health um, condition mm -hmm. or a disorder. Something because and I think that's helped. But um, yeah, definitely in African communities, we still see stigma there. Um, I will, I will try not to speak too broadly Africa. I'll kind of do a more Malawi versus UK perspective yeah, because okay. I guess that's where I'm directly working. It does exist. Um, I, but I think there are valid reasons for, 
called The Stigma. And I think a lot of my work, what I've done so far, has really given me a deep understanding of why that exists. Um, so I don't know if it's okay, but I'll share some work that I'm doing in Malawi. Please do. Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of work looking at improving uh, mental health literacy. So that's uh, our knowledge, our understanding, but also our attitudes towards mental health, but particularly among young people in Malawi. Um, and that work came about, it, was, it wasn't it was a professional decision, it was more a personal thing. So um, having lived here for more of, for more than half of my life compared to Malawi, I still have that connect with Malawi. So I try to go there at least every year. I've got a lot of my family is still back there. So I travel there a lot. Um, and through that training as a psychologist here and working in the NHS and stuff, I kind of observed this thing that I know within my family, my friendship circles, people will come to me privately about things. But what I noticed was that in the clinics, you don't see a lot of black patients come in. I was thinking, is it just because mm. there aren't that many in terms of population in the United Kingdom? Like still doesn't make sense because mm. actually privately people are coming to me. And then I started thinking, what can I do back home? So I started uh, like doing talks, um, just awareness raising, I guess, like this is mental health, this is how to spot it, these are triggers, etc. Can I, can uh, I stop you there? Because I, I, I want to know a little bit about, because you've said some really good, this is mental health, this is how to spot it, um, these are the triggers. Can you give us a brief, what is mental health? What, how do we spot it? And what are some of the triggers? Uh, yeah, okay. So um, for me, Mental health is kind of a state of well-being where, you know, someone is able to realize their abilities. Um, someone is able to cope with the normal stresses of life. Um, and you can work productively and you can contribute to your, to your community. I know that right. kind of is probably not what people are thinking of, because I think actually when people think mental health, they always think of mental illness. And that's right. one of the things I'm trying to get people to move away from mm. because mental health is about our cognitive, our emotional functioning as, as human beings. Um, it's not about the, in the same way as we have physical health. Mm -hmm. And then within mm -hmm. that spectrum of physical health, you can become ill. You can get a flu. You can break mm -hmm. your leg, which makes you physically ill, right? Mm -hmm. But right. there is a state of maintaining physical health which is good health. And, you know. So in the same way, mental health is about those aspects. You're absolutely right. We do think, the minute people say mental health, we always think about illness. At least mm. I do. You know, it's the first thing I think about um, anxiety. I think about, um, you know, not, not coping versus being maintaining health. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. So, uh, so uh, wh what are some of the what are some of the ways to spot it? You said how to spot um, mental health. Is that spotting um, when illness starts to impact your mental health? Yeah. So spotting when you're feeling, let's say, but perhaps I'll say mentally distressed, which is what most of us would feel, which is where you're kind of not okay. It's not your normal self. So maybe you're having more stressful situations you're going through maybe a bereavement or something's happened in your life mm. that's kind of and that for me is a normal reaction to a stressor mm. okay. right if 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 you lose someone in your, in your, in close to you and if you feel 
uh, upset or distressed or you, you feel you know de- a bit ang- depressed about it. it's a normal reaction people have been talking about mental health a lot during the pandemic the coronavirus pandemic mm-hmm. like oh my gosh every like depression anxiety is going up and that to me is it's not surprising <laughs> it's a normal right. reaction to a very stressful mm-hmm situation where no one knew where this was going to go people around us were dying and we had no idea how to cure this disease or what what it was so yes it was it was expected mm. that uh, mental disorders would go up because we were reacting to a particularly right. stressful time in our lives so i think that's really important for people to kind of understand mental health in that spec- in that broader sense um, and so mm. when you when you went going back to Malawi, how how are yeah. you finding um, actually introducing this and this way of thinking and mm. how, how do you go about that? Yeah, I'm finding that it's actually a really powerful way to start the conversation because like like you, you like your reaction, people are like, oh, because, you know, in Malawi, when we, we th- when you say mental health, we just immediately we think misala, which is the the Chichewa word for crazy right or mad right. um right. we just, uh-huh. we just literally go to that it's, it's extreme it's either you're okay or you're mentally unwell mm. right they don't really think of it in that broad sense so um, yes it's the first thing i kind of did uh with my research in malawi looking at i trying to understand young people's knowledge of mental health was to ask them um what their what are the life challenges for young people? What are the social challenges for young people in Malawi? They mentioned all of these things. And then without me asking about mental health, they then started to link those things to how they affect them emotionally. Um, right. You know, like, you know, because, you know, I can't find a job. I can't, it's really hard. There's high unemployment. Uh, we know our parents are struggling financially to put us through school. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of stress. I get really anxious and fearful. You know, there's a time where I, my parents wouldn't pay my fees and I was so depressed. I was so flat, but I couldn't share that with my friends. So it, it just organically, they started now to talk about how life, how things happening around us can impact mm. on our mental health. Mm. Um, yeah. So that was already raised, interesting. Yeah, sorry, Sandra. I, I, you're making me think about typical conversations that we do have around, you know, just sitting down and uh, talking, whatever the generation, where people will discuss, let's say, bereavement. They will discuss um, maybe some traumas, you know, that are not taboo socially. And they will talk about how that impacted them. So this is not a new, a new thing. It's just that I think that maybe people don't want to go to discussing the word mental health and putting that in the same bracket. So do you find that that is the case? It, does it help when you yes. are introducing sort of mental health literacy to people? What is the benefit of pointing to and categorizing this as mental health? as opposed to just, it's the it's life, you know? Hmm. I think the benefit is to get people to understand that we all experience these things. Um, and I think that it's the importance of taking 
away that linking of mental health to just the illness because I'm I'm sure both of you know like from like in Malawi if mentally ill people it's the extremes right the people who get uh, sent to Zomba mental hospital for example mm. tend to be very severe very severely um, mentally ill people they have schizophrenia they have psychosis they they they're almost at the end where you're feeling could something have been done earlier on right so i think getting people to understand uh the symptoms earlier on of okay what can trigger someone going on to just having the same mood disorder feeling occasionally low to then what's the difference that to make it be, that becoming extreme depression like chronic depression over time mm-hmm. um I think it helps people to realize that it's not a lost case when, for example, you do have a mental disorder, there is treatment available, but also that there are ways to prevent or to maintain your mental health uh, in mm-hmm. earlier on. Um, and okay. in the same way that, you know, there's ways to prevent becoming physically unwell. Right. And do you think people are afraid? Do you think people are afraid to admit from the from the beginning, like if people are feeling overwhelmed or are feeling a, a level of anxiety, do you think they're afraid to admit that because they think that this obviously will lead to um, to that? Like, that's how I'll be perceived. If I say I feel anxious, I'll be perceived as mentally unstable. Or is that? Um, I think in Malawi, it's more about. Uh, this fear of looking weak, actually, right. <laughs> because um, the sense that I've got is everyone feels like the problems are everywhere. Everyone experiences these yeah. problems, so why should you be treated special? <laughs> right. um, I'm laughing, but it's actually tragic, <laughs> especially if you're a young mm. person who could be potentially isolated. Um, I think a lot, a lot of the young people I spoke to are in university, they're students. And, you know, part of university is fitting in to, a so, to that social setting. Um, mm. And I had the privilege of speaking to young people who are from priv- very privileged backgrounds financially, but also not so privileged um, backgrounds. They came from a rural setting. And the first time they came to, like, uh, let's say, Blanta, like the city, was going to university after, you know, boarding school rural setting and trying to fit in with the cool kids, with the trends with, right. and all that. And then if you're feeling stressed or if you know that your family is struggling financially or you lose your scholarship, they take away your, your financial loan. Um, and to share that is, um, I guess that's embarrassing, but it's more of a social thing, isn't it? Fearing ridicule. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm very curious because it's a very different, I mean, is it a different experience here in the Western Hemisphere where it's a much more individualistic society, right? Versus in a lot of, a lot of African communities, which are much more um, um, community based. So when you're experiencing something like issues with your mental health, is there a, is there a difference due to the due to that the the individual more individualistic way or the more community oriented way of living? Hmm. Yeah, I find, and that's an interesting thing I'm trying to understand more because 
the other assumption was, well, we're very community-based. So even in our approach to helping a family member who's not well, we'd rather care for them in the house, whatever. But I find right. actually that community <clears throat> aspect, that compassion seems to fall through when it comes to mental health. So another thing that I've realized that, um, and there's another thing that feeds into to stigma with people who have uh, mental health conditions or with mental disorders or they're mentally ill, is that the causes, people's thinking or understanding of what causes mental health are what is stigmatizing. So the go-tos are, and I don't want to generalize, but these are the main themes, witchcraft, in that mm. you, someone has cursed you, or actually right. from a from a religious point of view or a spiritual, you've been possessed mm. by a demon. Mm-hmm. So that's very difficult. The other is, especially if you're a young person, oh, you're 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 taking some drugs. It must be that you know it's mm. because you smoke. You must be smoking. Right. You kind of you know some kind of drug or tobacco, and so it's like a, a self blaming thing in that sense. So again, it, it, it evokes these like reactions of no compassion for you've done this to yourself in that sense. Right. Um, so I think the only people I've found where there is compassion are, for example, if people can see physically, and again, this is the link, like how people over-prioritize physical conditions, right? If you had some kind of brain, like trauma to the head, an accident, or something people can right. see, it's easier for them to understand that, okay, so now they're not okay because, you know, something happened to them, um, like a, the, their brain got damaged. I, I wanted to ask whether, Sandra, this is something you're seeing in, in the Black communities that you work with outside Malawi slash Africa. Are you seeing these kinds of reactions, uh, social reactions to somebody with mental health issues in black communities, let's say in the UK, in your work with the National Health Service? Mm, there's, there's similarities. Yeah, there are similarities. Um, definitely I've had the same feedback from people from, from Ghana, heritage, like Ghana, Nigeria. Um, I have... Uh, uh, given uh, talks to students because I, I also teach the medical students at Queen Mary um, on this topic and I've had students emailing me personally from like they're based in Egypt, Sudan and they're like uh, oh, Pakistan and they're like oh my gosh you know your lecture on, on stigma what you just talked about my uncle went mm. through this my brother went through this I see this in our okay. society now, you know, even here in our community. Um, and what I've summed this up as is, 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 is actually just a lack of knowledge about the causes of, of mental health, which in a way is a relief because that can actually be addressed, that can be tackled. Hmm. Um, hmm. We just need to talk about it more uh, openly. And I think once you do open Again, ask the questions. People are willing to share their experiences. Um, I think if we don't talk about it, then we don't normalize the conversation. Mm. And therefore, we people like myself cannot kind of explain these concepts to people. But I think people are open to the conversation. I think it's just it hasn't actually been a focus. So what I'm really curious about, Sandra, is how do you 
um, bridge the gap generationally. So from those people who are older, who may find it, you know, the, the, the father, the grandparent who may find it, um, a sign of weakness and shame to the grandmother who may think it's witchcraft to our generation who are probably more, um, inclined to have an empathy towards mental health issues. Um, however, still have a little bit of that stigma in us because of how we grew up mm. to the younger generation who hopefully will be able to embrace it and, um, are more open to it. How can we bridge that gap? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that is a challenge, um, but I think there are ways to um, also engage kind of the, the older um, population within African communities specifically. Um, I think one great avenue is um, uh, leaders within the community. Mm. So one particular example I think would be effective within the African community is faith leaders. Um, because, you know, our faith is a big thing within our community. So um, there are a lot of uh, examples of therapists or counseling type uh, approaches within churches. Uh, and uh, that generation will go to those people. They will open up to their pastor. They will open up to their uh, home group leader about uh, personal issues and touch on mental health conditions within that space. So uh, that is one of my um, ideas to kind of uh, go to those spaces, those touch points, um, like churches, um, like mosques, and deliver the message and share, you know, this is what mental health is, you know, if, and um, I'm always conscious to do it in a way where you remove uh, that uh, need for people to personally share within a group space. I always right. keep it very general, like, Hi, this is me. This is what mental health is. This is what I do. This is mental health. And these are the issues that people could be struggling with. If you need any more any more information, well, I don't even say help. If you need any more information, contact me. <laughs> Yeah. See that's a, you yeah. see that's really that's really interesting to hear is how you have to be so careful with language, right? Mm. Because not even using help because immediately that puts people on the back foot feeling I'm weak if I need help. It's mm. incredible. So yeah. you you're having to be so conscious of your language and these things. Mm. That must yeah. also be quite time consuming for you is getting the language <laughs> right at every point. I think the language is really important because the language really feeds into stigma within the space of mental health. And this is across the, the, right. the globe, regardless of what community. Um, and I think it is, again, that thing of people always thinking about, you know, oh, a psycho. There's all these words that I use in the media, yeah. in films, in psycho, oh, blah, blah, blah. Not very nice. Um, <laughs> well, even, the, even mad, right? Mad mm. is such a big word. And the idea mm. that if I will be perceived as mad, and I think about it, because I, I, I'll say things off the, oh, she went mental. And, and I, I'm, I find myself saying that and then hearing myself and thinking, what does that mean? What am I mm -hmm. saying? Right. Yeah. Um, and it's like anything else. It's, it's awareness when you start realizing and sort of taking the sting out of these things and start normalizing them. Mm. But with that, with language, I'm really interested with younger people, how say, you know, for us with, with kids who are growing up and some, you know, um, Daphne has 
27 year olds and I have an eight year old, you know, these kids are, you know, all sphere. How do we, what is a good way with our language to help our children talk about these things and, and so that they feel affirmed and, and they feel listened to? Mm. Um, I think it's about just being empathetic. I think if, if you're mm. able to put yourself in another person's shoes, I think that's always a good place to start. Because even if you say something wrong or offensive, it means they are, because of the way you are, they'll be open to telling you that actually that wasn't very nice to say, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. One other thing that I'm noticing, I mean, I'm not a parent yet, but I'm on the journey. So, you know, hopefully it'll happen soon. But one thing I found just from what young people in Malawi were telling me, especially young boys, I think they are actually sometimes so neglected emotionally um, because there's this mm. perception that you're going to be a man one day. And so mm. they, they said, the young men said a lot about how they remember just not being allowed to cry. Like if you fall and really hurt yourself, it's like, get up, get up, get up. Are you okay? Are you okay? Dust yourself off. Mm. Whereas you know, the girls could at <laughs> yeah. least cry. And, you know, it was a way of like an outlet. And I think in the same right. way, as parents, maybe people could spend more time just talking to your child about them. Like what happened today in school? You know, on a very broad perspective, not always linked to academic performance, <laughs> because that's another thing. Just getting to know your child, what their interests are, what their fears are, what their dreams are, because I, I think it's that thing again where we kind of, um, the society in Malawi especially, um, because it's so community-based, right? You're always, your decisions are always about, okay, if I do this, what's the impact on my family? I don't think people really get the mm. chance to think about me just really in that selfish way. Like, this is what I like to yeah. do. Yeah. So, so, so Sandra, talk to me about, talk to us about resilience. I'm speaking about this from my own personal perspective. I know that there are a lot of okay. things that myself and a lot of, uh, I would say a lot of our audience who have grown up across cultures and maybe spent some of our childhood in Africa. And we've just had some personal traumas and experiences that would stress any child out or any teenager out. Navigating new cultures, being a minority and experiencing, you know, racial discrimination and stress at work and all of these various things. I know those things build resilience, but to what extent do they tip you into, um, do you have anything to say about mental health and how, you know, all of those things can actually trigger, um, the likes of depression or mental stress, or you tell me what the terminology is. Talk, talk to us about that. That's a very big question. <laughs> I can relate <laughs> a lot to that. Actually, maybe I should have shared a bit on that personally as well. I mean, when I moved to uh, Bristol, um, I, there wasn't much about the United Kingdom. I, I liked, I must say, actually, I would say very much. I hated moving here. I found mm-hmm. I lost my friends. It was a different culture. I hated the weather. I hated the food. And then it was, um, it's weird. Now, I think the first time I kind of felt like, oh, there's a sense, a hint of diversity was when I moved to London to work at Queen Mary. 
as well. That right. was the first time for me where I wasn't the only, not just only black person at work, but the only non-white person. So wow. that's how Bristol 20 years and ago. How long, how long had this, how long had you been here by that point? Uh, 20. Yeah, over 20 years, right? Wow! (laughs) Right? So Bristol is very different 20, I would even say 10 years ago to what it is now. People are like, oh, it's really cool. I'm like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) And that was a challenge. 20 20 years of not seeing (laughs) diversity is quite tough. Yeah, especially in the workplace. And I think that was really Mm -hmm. traumatic. And I didn't think Mm -hmm. about it because Mm -hmm. I think when you're put in that position, human beings are very strong, very resilient naturally, and we're very adaptable. We just learn to cope with what we've got and make the best of it. I think that's one skill, one a strength that a lot of people, like from Malawi, generally from Africa, we have. Because we're mm. always the other person mm-hmm. in Western mm. um, cultures, right? There's, there's all these perceptions about what Africa is. And did you grow up in a hut? Did you live in a tree? I was Don't asked get this me started. Don't get me started. Ridiculous yes. questions, mm. and, <laughs> but you just learn to um, just work with the resources you have, and you just get on with it. That's a good thing, but in a way, yes, it can trigger something later on in life. Um, mm. And I think it's at the point where you know you're going through multiple stresses, and it, it gets to, and that can break you. Um, what I think we can take from that is that. Well, from my perspective, what I've learned is as a person, I've just embraced being different and use as a strength. And I use that as a way to, to teach people who are not like me what what a Malawian is, what a black woman is, what like my and real actually teaching them we are like yourselves, they're different types of black women. We're not just all the same. We don't all talk in the same way. We don't all you know, and just embracing that and using that as my strength. But also I think what I've done, what I naturally tend to do is, <laughs> I do this all the time, I try and stop myself. Every time there's a um, like a new member of staff at work or a PhD student who's not white, because I know what I went through in university, like because of the way I grew up, I wasn't proactive in asking for help. I did everything on my own because in our culture, that, that that shows that actually you know more and that shows that you're knowledgeable and you're hardworking. Here, that doesn't really feature. It's those people who start, ask questions in lectures, who put themselves out there, who are actually given the opportunities. That took me a while to learn. I had to learn it myself. Yeah. So now what I do with students is I, I, because I understand that's what they probably are going through, I kind of yeah. become an informal mentor, not just of okay. their academic um, performance, but just their life. I just, I like to yeah. know about their life and encourage them in those ways yeah. and teach them how, those different how cultural about, Yeah, I'm very curious because you're a researcher as well. How have you found this, t- taking the, the non-white experience, how have you found um, it is in research? Does it exist in your research? As a psychologist, does this actually feature? Is it evident? Is it? Can you see it in the way mental health is spoken about, researched, etc.? Oh, there's there's a big problem I think in research around equality, diversity throughout the whole system. So, 
one of my other roles is that I am um, uh, the co-lead for equality, diversity, and inclusion working group within my my uh, my team, um, and that's because even f- through the way f- from the start, from um, being awarded money to do research projects, um, mm. being promoted in uh, university s- settings, you know, to be a lead on research, and et cetera, et cetera. From the work that's being done in Africa, let's say, for example, the work being done in Malawi, if you look at the people leading the mm. projects, you will normally find is people who are not from this, uh, white people. So there is right. still there's a big problem in the research community about mm-hmm. including people from African backgrounds generally, but also this thing about progressing is 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 very difficult. Um, I used to think because psychology is very much a white <laughs> a white profession, um, maybe that's just that. But I'm realizing that. Now, because I get the opportunity to work with people from all sorts of backgrounds, like nursing, medical doctors, all sorts, you rarely see someone who looks like me there. It's even worse, I think, black men. (laughs) Okay. Um, And um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Across so, the board. so are you saying this, this is, um, I keep taking it back to my own personal, the questions I've got about mental health, um, as somebody who actually suffered from depression. And this is something that when I, when I raise it, I, I, I tend to see my, my friends retre- retreating into themselves when I say that I did suffer from depression, but talk, what about therapy? Cause there are a lot of, um, there are a number of celebrities, black celebrities out there now in the media promoting mental health amongst the black community. Um, and a lot mm. of them talk about going to therapy. We've just finished reading um, the autobiography for Viola uh, Davis. Um, and she talks a lot about oh, a therapist wow. helping her. Yeah. It's an amazing book, by the way. Um, talking about her therapist a lot. And there, I, I see it as a recurring theme. Um, I think Reg, um, Regina Hall or another celebrity talk about um mental health and depression amongst the black community at what point like is it worth just going to see a therapist when you are in a quotations fine or at what point do you think that it's most beneficial um to go to a therapist and maybe talk maybe to talk through these traumas that we've discussed to find coping mechanisms or is it when you're depressed do you go as a preventative do you go as a you know at what point do you do you, do you go and what do you get what should you be seeking yeah. i think if you are in your mind thinking do i need to go to therapy that's probably a sign that you should go see Don't everybody someone. everybody sign up quick. Right? Um, so, and then, so the thing about therapy is that, you know, and again, this goes on to, this fits into what the, the definition I gave at the beginning about mental health. Therapy is not just about when you're feeling, when you have a mental disorder or when you think you have a mental disorder. Another thing about therapy is that it can help you um, to really understand your own emotions. I think it was um, Daphne, I think you mentioned that maybe, we, or was it Eileen? I don't think we think enough about 
how we feel, our emotion. We don't understand enough about our own emotions or why we react to certain things in a certain way. And the thing with the mind is it's so mind there's so much about why we do the brain that we don't understand. Mm. Polytherapy is can be a way of just understanding yourself more. Mm. The course I see myself a, a therapist is there to facilitate your journey. It's about okay. you. It's always about you. So you bring to the table what you want to discuss. Uh, and it can be a minor thing. It can okay. be a complex bag. It can be like, this is all my baggage. <laughs> and okay. at that point, probably the therapist will say, okay, we need to kind of think about what's the important thing to focus on. And then you kind of build it from there. Okay. Just like life so skills. This is, it's like this is interesting okay. because as, as you say that, I mean, that's, I think we all need that, right? To be able to talk and understand ourselves. But now in a cultural context, if you mm. are coming mm. from, from a, a African culture yeah. and you are, you want to see a therapist and you're, you know, and your options are, you know, a, a middle-aged white male. Um, what is, you know, I know for myself, it, that has been an issue. I remember at some point yeah, um, I wanted to, my husband and I wanted to go to marriage counseling mm -hmm. and I was given the option of a few white females. And I just thought, I don't want to go to a white woman because mm. I don't know what assumptions they have about my black husband. Mm. And so, yeah. Preach. Okay. Yeah. you know, so these are things now, right? Right. And you're like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put that. Or if it's a personal thing, now you're talking about your community. I don't know what presumptions you have mm. about Africa and my community or where I'm from. And, help us with that how do we yeah. if we if, if we need therapy um but our our options are limited because like you're saying that there are mm. there are few people who look like us in this field yeah. how can we best receive from people who we ourselves might have doubts can give us <laughs> what we think we need mm -hmm. yeah I think one thing i'll be honest about is that therapeutic relationship that's the first important thing right so one thing i'd say to people is um if you don't get on with your therapist if you meet someone and you feel like in that instance i don't think i can get on with this person you know regardless of actually mm -hmm. the color of their skin mm -hmm. i think this can happen even if you know you might be in the room with me and think oh, oh yeah mm -hmm. you know yeah you have this, it's your, you need to own your sessions. Okay. You, you are, you are, you can leave at any point. There okay. is no obligation. That's actually a really important part of therapy that you feel you can connect, genuinely connect with the person in the room. Mm. So that's one thing I'll be very honest and open. That's a really important factor. Um, in terms of finding therapists that look more like us, there is, I will try and find that website there is a, a cat a website which kind of catalogs yeah. um uh, uh therapists who are from um black kind of african okay. um, heritage um, and most of them are london based of course but i've seen that that's mm -hmm. grown so if that would be helpful i can uh, 
pass that on to you. And I'm sure a lot of people do stuff online now as well, don't they? So that means people are accessible. Mm. Yeah, people are accessible to many people around the world. You're right, Eileen. I've seen through the pandemic and with the increase in in, um, mental health issues that that triggered, there are now quite a lot of online not only being able to find therapists, but even to even to have therapy sessions online with therapists from around the world, if, if that is necessary for you. Yeah. And I was just wondering, Sandra, what else can we do for good, shall we call it mental hygiene? Like, So I always go back to, the, I, I do these um, stress management workshops kind of three times a year as well. So that's another thing I'm really interested in. And uh, so one of the things I always tips I always give to people and they, I've, uh, they always get an eye roll at least from one or two people when I say this is in terms of mental health there's there these three things that are kind of seen as a holy trinity and they're very basic things. sleep um, eating well and being physically active those three things in the same way that they would prescribe those for physical health those are really important yeah. for mental health um, I think people are hot on physical activity and I guess maybe good nutrition, I hope, because that's spoken about a lot. I think one thing that people neglect a lot is having good quality sleep. And again, this is very unique to the everyone. Um, I know there's like, oh, you need to sleep eight hours. Some people, for some people, that's too much. Some people, that's actually, it gets in the mood. But between that six to eight hour window that's what we should be hitting and it's about the quality not just i was lying in bed for this amount of hours because sometimes <laughs> you be and you're just staring <laughs> at the <laughs> you're not resting exactly. <laughs> and i think that's a particularly big issue for the african community in the uk because i know a lot of us are first still first second generation mm-hmm. and that comes with a lot of challenges you know um, like personally, I have um, aunties. I, I know people who two jobs work. Like they, they finish one shift, they yeah. bring that, and that eats that eats at you. Not just physically, but mentally, it eats. At, you're exhausted. It can affect your ability to like make decisions. It just can affect your emotions hormonally. It can start to affect you. So. Prior, and all this takes discipline. It's about boundaries, setting boundaries, containing time for the self. Okay, so now you see that's that's a whole other episode. <laughs> I know. Boundaries. We need to bring it that back. That is a to whole talk about other that. conversation. I know. Yes, you look. <laughs> Sandra, I must say, literally, no, literally, we need to do this again because there is so much more um, that we want to talk to you about. And, but Mm. before we end, what I'd love to know is the work you're currently doing in Malawi with the youth, how can we further support you in this work? How can we as the women in the diaspora actually get Mm. behind what you're doing and support you? What are some of the ways? Ooh, okay. So the next five years, what I'm planning to do is, so the next stage of this project is that we're going to, um, the, the plan is to implement a mental health literacy curriculum for university students in Malawi. So we're trying to make sure Amazing. that everyone, every student in their first year, regardless what you're studying, you complete this um, 
module for let's say four weeks where you, we are taught about what mental health is, etc. It's kind of what we've discussed today, and it'll be. I hope it'll be very interactive. I've got a lot of videos and signposting people sharing their testimonies, their life experiences of different conditions, that kind of thing. And my hope is that if people really, the universities, they buy into it, um, it shows that it actually improves mental well-being, that it's then something that's implemented and becomes like a, a standard thing, like it's mandatory, that's what everyone does across all universities. I want this to be free. And yeah, so that's that's the, the aim. I That's think amazing. My, my challenge mm. will be, <laughs> there are a lot of challenges, but my challenge will be getting, like you said, getting buy-in support mm. from those decision makers, from the the people, the leadership in the universities, from the do strong you, generation. Do you think maybe you need to give them a bit of a, <laughs> yeah, do you think maybe you need to give them the, the, the workshops first? Like, let's, let, let's, let's mm. discuss with you guys first. <laughs> Exactly. So I think, uh, and then alongside that, I plan to do more kind of with the population that aren't in, in education, right? So I'm going to be doing youth festivals where we'll have, we'll invite speakers, we'll have um, like influential young people, like musicians, drama, that kind of thing. Right. Again, it's just a space for people in the community to come and learn about our project, but also talk about mental health, normalizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, I guess I would, if you can, people out there, if you're someone who works in um, in the media, like radio, TV, et cetera, et cetera, would be great to just have um, a lot of people who can help me with promoting that this work is going on over the next four years as we start to do the work. Okay, that's wonderful. Do you have any um, links, social media links or website where people can find out more and get in touch with you through? Not at the moment, but it's something we're working on. Um, we'll have okay. a project website. So, so once that's uh, done, I can send that across to you. Yeah, that would be great. Once that's done, we will link your website to yeah. this episode um, Ooh, and and put it on your website because, yeah, we yeah. do. We want to get behind you. We really appreciate you talking to us, taking your time. We appreciate the work you're doing. <clears throat> Thank you so much for being here, for sharing so honestly about your experience. For Thank you for the work you're doing. I mean, it's amazing. And I hope um, we can support you and I hope we can talk to you again For because sure. please do come back. Yeah, really enjoyed this. Thank really, you so much. Really good to, to have me here. Um, yeah, and thank you for all your amazing questions, but also your insights. I think, yeah, I just love working in this field because also I feel like I learn more from from people than, you know, people need people learning from me, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. I just always I'm learning and I'm, it's very humbling. So, yeah, thank you. Mm. Thank All right. You. Thank you for listening to Soulfully Podcast. Please do not forget to subscribe and tell everyone you know about this. Subscribe, subscribe. Going to see you next time. Till next time. Bye.